as we began last week, we found ourselves with the prophet Habakkuk, and most of us probably aren't super familiar with the story of Habakkuk, but we started to get a sense of what he was dealing with. He was a prophet towards the end of Judah's time as an independent kingdom, a, a prophet who cries out to the Lord with questions. And that first question we looked at last week was the question of, God, why are you allowing your people to do unrighteous things? And it's the sort of question that we often don't ask. Because we look at ourselves, we don't want to see unrighteousness. But Habakkuk looked at the people of God and said, there's all this unrighteousness here. God, why are you allowing it? That was the first question. But he's going to have a second question because God says, okay, I'm going to tell you, Habakkuk, what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring in a conquering power. And that conquering power is going to bring my judgment upon the land. As it does, it's going to sweep away the unrighteous people who claim my name. And Habakkuk hears that. He processes it. And he hears about who these people are and how they're going to act. And he has a second question for God. And this is a question that we probably often find ourselves coming to more often, which is, why are you going to somehow bring judgment in this world, O oh God, by allowing the unrighteous to flourish? Why are you going to bring a force that's even worse than the one that's already there in? Why are you going to do that, God? It doesn't make any sense. Why, why, why if you're righteous, will you allow that? And that's where we pick up tonight. So let's go ahead and come before our God, because this is a, a hard topic. But in it, we find assurance of God's love for us. So let's come before our loving God and ask that he would guide us as we turn to this part of Habakkuk. Let's pray. Father, we struggle when we come before your word and face judgment. We struggle when it's judgment against ourselves because we want to see ourselves as righteous and, and holy. But even when we fail, and even when we recognize our failings, when we see that you're using those even more unrighteous to bring about correction, when you're allowing those who are unrighteous to rise up, we, we, we struggle. We don't understand. We see part of what you're doing, God, and, and, and we're mystified. And in our own lives, we often see part of what you're doing and we find ourselves mystified. But Lord, as we look at your word tonight, would you assure us of your love? Would you help us to cling to you and to your promises? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This sounds like a sort of bizarre scenario, the unjust coming in to punish the less unjust. But it happens a lot. It happens all the time. We see these situations often where we see something that's unjust and then something even more unjust takes its place. And at first, maybe it doesn't look that way. I was reminded almost two decades ago, the mayor who oversaw the growth of our neighboring city, St. Peter's, lost re-election. And if you've been a longtime resident of the area, you know about Mayor Tom Brown, because I believe St. Peter's, when, when he came to power as mayor uh, 20 years or so before that, had about 600 people, I believe, living in it. And by the time he lost re-election in 2004, 
there were 66,000 people living in St. Peter's. The whole city and its sense of being a city and not just a little spot alongside Interstate 70 happened under Mayor Brown. But if you lived here, you also knew that Mayor Brown knew exactly what he wanted to do and who he wanted to work with, and people got aggravated because it seemed like he was in it for himself. He, he had lots and lots of power. He had that from decades of being mayor. And so it was when a man, interestingly enough, named Sean Brown, decided to run against him, he was able to defeat the longtime mayor. And, and some of that may have been confusion over which Brown was the mayor Brown that was currently in power, but some of it also seemed to be that people were just tired of this man who who had had power for so long, and they felt like he was unjust because he'd had power for so long. And so they decided to elect someone else. Now again, if you've been in this area for a while, you know that didn't last very long because less than two years later, Mayor Sean Brown was being arrested by the federal authorities for taking a bribe. And, and so it sort of felt like, okay, the first Mayor Brown was maybe not the most just in everything he did, and probably no one, if, if I were elected mayor and was in power for two decades, I'd like to think I'd do better, but I, I, there'd probably be people, I know there'd be people aggravated with me. But then it got even worse. Now we have a mayor who's being arrested and hauled off to prison. I mean, what happened here? Why, why did we go from, from, from a place where it felt like there were people that could be in the inner circle of the mayor to now we have a mayor who's taking bribes and being arrested and, and thrown in prison? Actually ends up, over the course of time, being thrown in prison multiple times on different things. It's kind of jarring. And we think, uh, you know, it seemed like we were going in the right direction, but clearly we weren't. And, and oftentimes that feels how it is with God as well. We, we see that he seemingly brings someone down who's corrupt, but then someone else rises up and is even more corrupt. And, and it seems like, God, why are you allowing the greater wrong to win? That's where Habakkuk is. God, I thought you were just. What in the world are you doing? That's basically what he's asking. He's very blunt about it, and that's what we see if you turn to verse 11 of Habakkuk chapter 1. The, the, we looked at this verse as a preview last week, and, and Habakkuk reports that this from God. God says, they, Then they, the, the conquering power, sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. They're trusting in themselves. And this is what's going to throw Habakkuk off because, wait, you're trying to bring down the self-righteous in Israel. You're going to bring them down by people who trust in their own power? Listen to what Habakkuk says. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? You shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pure are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and, and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He says, there, there's lots of problems in the land, God, but, but there are problems of your people, people who are struggling to follow you in some sense. Now you're going to bring in people who don't even have an illusion of following you. How can you, who promised that we will always be your people, do this? How can you, O oh God, who has more purity in him than anyone else, how can this happen? 
How can you bring in not just another guilty party, but the guiltier party? Sometimes we ask this question today. I, I, I've heard this over and over again, and I referenced last week the, some of the, the things that have been coming up, welling up the unrighteousness in the church, the, the corruption in churches, the, the covers up, cover up of abuse in churches, and it comes up, and then you hear people say, but the people who now have the place to speak, the critics of the church, they're even more unrighteous. Look at them. They're terribly unrighteous. Why is God allowing them to rise up and allowing his church to be laid low? Why doesn't he just somehow do something in the church and make it good? Because, yeah, we want it fixed, but we don't want more unrighteousness to flourish. It seems like it doesn't make sense. Yeah, there needs to be punishment. Yes, there needs to be a reckoning, but, but why bring in someone who's going to do even more harm? seems like the solution is worse than the problem. Habakkuk struggles to understand because he, he, he looks at, at the people of God. Yes, they deserve punishment. But what about these others, the ones that are going to bring in this, this judgment? Because they look like they deserve even more. Take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. It says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. And it goes on with all these different curses. And, and Habakkuk can look at that and say, okay, the people of God, we deserve some of that now. Because we haven't acted like people of God. We've acted like the world. So that part makes sense. But what doesn't make sense, God, is why you're not going to apply that to the people coming in you've already said they're going to trust in their own might. They're not going to trust in you at all. Why are you doing that? The foe worships his success. And so often in this world, even when it seems right that God's people are brought low for the things that we do wrong, we see those doing that bringing low, worshiping themselves. They're not worshiping God. And so we say... don't understand God. Now, so this challenge that Habakkuk is encountering, we're not going to completely solve tonight, but it's going to challenge the prophet and it's going to challenge us to think about something that happens more broadly as well, which is oftentimes we look at what God is doing and it just doesn't seem to make sense. This is a particular instance of that, but we, ha we can all think in our lives things that we, we look at, it doesn't make sense. We we pray, we come before God, we ask him to guide us, and, and things still aren't working. And we think, God, it seems to be working for other people who, who don't come to you in prayer, who don't care what you think. Why? How is this just? Yes, I don't deserve your grace, but, but have you forgotten your people? And that's what Habakkuk starts off with. He says, I, I know what you've said, God, about who you are and that we'll be with you. And now you're saying you're going to bring in someone to conquer us. What am I supposed to do with that, God? You think about the Babylonians who are the invading force that will ultimately come, who will fulfill this prophecy. And they will come and they'll drag the people of Judah off to Babylon, where they'll stay in exile for, for decades. 
And as they're drug off, they're being drug off by people who are saying, look at how wonderfully strong we are. And those people are completely oblivious to the fact that God is the one that's enabled them to do it. They're not saying, they're not coming in as the new people of God who are rejoicing that God has allowed them to do it. Habakkuk says in verse 12, O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. God is the one that's going to allow them to do it. But they won't even appreciate that. Habakkuk says in verse 15 that, that the conquering power is going to be rejoicing in their strength. They're going to, they're, he's using the language that we use to talk about God, religious language, but talking about their military might. They're worshiping themselves. They're worshiping their grandeur, their cleverness, their strategy. And oftentimes that's how it feels like in the world. We see people who do those things. They're worshiping their own success. They're moving up the corporate ladder. They're moving up the academic ladder. They're moving up the, the neighborhood committee ladder, whatever it might be, the things that we see. And they're not acting righteously. But they seem to be flourishing. How do we make sense of that? How do we process in our own heads when, when God allows the greater wrong to win? Seems like they're winning at least. And that's how it would have seemed in 2004, 2005. You have a mayor brought down, and then 2006, clearly corrupt. But he's still the one that won. Now, he didn't get to keep his winnings. But in the moment, even when it was announced that this, this corruption scandal was occurring, he still was mayor for a period of time. And you think about that, if I were the other mayor, Brown, I would have thought, why did I get thrown out? I didn't get arrested for taking bribes. This guy's taking bribes, and he's mayor, and I'm not. Well, how did I make sense of that? Maybe you felt that way with a job promotion. You see someone who's acting unrighteously in the company. And they keep rising up and rising up, and you're sitting there. They take a promotion that you know was supposed to go to you, and you think, why is this? Okay, I, I'm not always perfect. I don't deserve this blessing either, but why them? Habakkuk wonders that. Why, God, are you allowing this? It just seems like it's making things worse. It's like the, the, the meme we see go around on social media every so often that there's a picture of a spider inside a house and then the next picture is someone standing outside with the house in flames. Uh, that fixed it. Well, yeah, I, I, but even, I mean, even those of us that hate spiders the most, we're not going to set our house on fire to get rid of a spider, right? Because we know that that's a worse problem. Maybe call an exterminator, but don't set the house on fire. It'll make, it makes things worse. And yet it feels like here, that there's, a, there's some spiders crawling around and God's just taken a blowtorch and, and fanned it over the house of his people. What's he doing? Well, Habakkuk doesn't understand, but he understands what he needs to do. When we don't understand how God's working, what do we do? We turn to God and we look at him and we look at who he is. Chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and, and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Here's the first thing that we see from Habakkuk. 
He doesn't understand what God's doing. He says it doesn't make sense, God, why you're allowing this to happen. We, we see what's going on, and we don't understand why God's allowing this or that thing to happen in our lives, and we, and we just start dwelling on that thing. We look at it more and more, and we say, this doesn't make any sense. This is wrong. What does Habakkuk do? He, he doesn't stay there. He asks God the question, but then it says he's going to sit like a watchman on the tower, like, like someone guarding the city from invading forces, but he's not looking for invading forces. He's looking for God to come because he trusts that God is going to come and he's going to answer his question. I like what one commentator said. He said, it is a wise man who takes his questions about God to God for answers. A lot of times we don't do that. A lot of times I don't do that. You, you, I don't understand what God's doing, and I spend time dwelling in my own head, asking myself the question over and over and over again, well, why, God, are you allowing this to happen? This isn't good. I don't like this. Surely God can see this isn't the way things should be. But do I take that question? Do I come before God and say, God, I know who you are. I know who, what your promises are. I don't understand. Help me to understand. Reminds me of, of that beautiful picture of a father coming and interceding for his child to, to Jesus in Mark chapter 9. And he asked Jesus if he would offer healing. And, and he said that if you can do this, Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, verse 21, how long has, it, has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, that father could have ended up in different places. He, he has a situation he doesn't, doesn't understand. Why is this, this thing ha having come upon his son? He's possessed. He's, ha he's being tortured. Why would a righteous God allow this to happen? Maybe Jesus can do something about it. But he has a, a challenge there. He could stay in his own head and, and just think, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my family? Why is this happening to my child? I don't understand and stop there, and, and, and that's where we can get bogged down. But he comes to Jesus struggling, just like Habakkuk struggling. He says, if you can do something about this. And Jesus challenges him. Do you know who I am? Do you know that all things are possible through me? He's challenging him to wrestle with the character of who God is. I love that father's response. I believe, help me with my unbelief. Habakkuk doesn't use those exact words, but he basically is saying the same thing. He's saying, this doesn't make sense. I know who you are, God, but this doesn't make any sense. But rather than assuming, well, that means that God doesn't make sense, or the way that God acts in the world doesn't make sense, he, he looks at it and says, okay, I am going to ask this question. I'm going to come before God and await his answer. I know that God makes sense. I don't understand, 
But I know that God makes sense. When we see God working in the world, when we see him bringing justice, when we see him even guiding us in our own life and our life's calling, when we see him working in our families, we look at these things and they often don't make sense. And we start to wonder, is God really in control? Is he really good? Because no matter how much we might know what Habakkuk said last week, where, where we don't deserve good, we, we do plenty of wrong things, we deserve God's judgment, I'm unrighteous. We still want to know that God is, is who he says he is, that he's a God who's gracious and merciful, a God who hears our prayers, who forgives us. We, Jim led us in prayer earlier in the service, guiding us to, to think about what sins we've been carrying this week and to place them before God because we believe that God actually does what he says, that he hears our prayers and he makes us righteous. And if we know that, then, then what do we do with this? If he really does forgive us, then why are things often so hard? You ever have that, that problem where you're, you're stuck in traffic at a stoplight and maybe it's not a super busy intersection or it's late at night. There, there's one neighborhood just down from here that I'll often cut through and, and the stoplight there, y- you'll pull up to it sometimes, especially, I, I remember this so many times when we'd have a, a, a later night faith tree event and you pull up there and it's 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night and you're sitting there and it's red. There's no cars anywhere. You can't see any, anyone coming. There's absolutely no reason why you couldn't go through that light and you sit there and you sit there, still sitting there. I think I'll dust the dash of my car. Hmm. Did I bring my phone? Yeah, I, okay, I have my phone. My car's still running. Still have some gas. I'm still sitting there, sitting, sitting. Oh, is this light ever going to change? And you start to think, maybe there's something wrong with the control box that controls this light. I don't think this light's going to change. It's not going to change. And, and sometimes you're behind a car, and then you have another car behind you, and you're thinking, ah, I kind of wish that car in front of me would just go because I don't think this light's going to change. And then you get the person behind you who's really impatient and swerves around you and just goes in front of both cars and, because he, he's lost any confidence that light's going to change. One thing I've learned about that light, it's a slow light. If lights had personality, this is a light that takes a perverse pleasure in seeing how long it can torment drivers sitting there, but it will change. And so I sit there because I know it will change. Habakkuk knows not that God will change, but the circumstances will change to show God's faithfulness. And, and so he's sitting there at that stoplight and saying, this doesn't make any sense, God. Maybe I should just run the red and try to fix things because where you're talking about us going sounds really awful. But he doesn't. He sits because he knows who God is. Psalm 27. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The psalmist reminds us that oftentimes the courage that God calls us to take is a courage in waiting. It's hard to wait, to sit and wonder what God's doing, to to see everything seemingly in disarray, 
and think maybe I need to somehow fix it because it doesn't make any sense. As the psalmist says that, and as Habakkuk looks on waiting for the message to come back from God, they're both waiting with courage, waiting to see what the Lord's going to do. I think it's, it's no coincidence that Habakkuk begins with this little bit of, uh, uh, of a song of praise, as it were, in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. What's he affirming there? He's affirming who God is and who God is to his people. He has this question, but he starts there. And, and, and as, as it has been observed about this passage and about what we see in the Psalms, the psalmists are saying, God, what are you doing? Where do they start? Well, if they were modern American theologians where they'd start, if they'd start with a theoretical argument about how this could bring about the greater good, and they, and they would go into these long contortions trying to figure out how it all fits together. Sometimes we do that on our own. But if you've ever read a, a theologian dealing with issues like this, they'll, they'll, they do it quite well. They, they get into all that, and it's not necessarily bad, but notice what... What happens here, Habakkuk doesn't go into a disputation on, on the goodness of God in an evil world and, and how it's maximizing the goodness in some other way and it's doing this and it's doing that. What does he do? He worships God. What do the psalmists do? They come and they worship God. What do we do when, when we don't understand how God's goodness fits with the, with the circumstances of our life? God calls us to come and worship him, to relate to him, to know him. Not to speculate, not to get caught up in, in, in deep debate over the problem of evil, but to come as Habakkuk does and say, this is who you are, God, and this is what your promises are. I don't understand how it all fits. And so that even in the mess, he can worship God. And that courageous waiting. Author of Hebrews called a people who were waiting, and they saw persecution coming. It didn't make sense. And he said, look to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You see, the people that were receiving that letter had already suffered. They already had reason to fear. Enough so that they were wondering, maybe we should deconvert. We should leave the faith because it seems like it's going to get us into deep trouble. Now, what would be tempting to do is say, it's all going to be okay. Don't worry. If you just have enough faith, there won't be a single drop of blood shed. There won't be a single bit of pain in your life. Everything's going to be great. Wouldn't be true, but it would be nice to say. What does the author of Hebrews say? He says, look to Jesus. Look to 
the Son of God who came into this world and suffered what we deserve to suffer. Follow Him. We want answers. Habakkuk wants answers. He wants God to say, this is exactly how it's going to work. This is how I'm going to make this a holy thing, that everything's going to come together, that everything's going to be comfortable. But where do we find him in in chapter 2, verse 1? We find him looking to God in the uncertainty. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. Here's what Habakkuk knows. God is faithful in the uncertainty. God is faithful in the waiting. God is faithful when nothing makes sense. He, he, he doesn't have to know exactly how everything's going to come together to know that the God who was there for him in chapter 1, the God that was there for him before he was called as a prophet, is the God who's still there for him in the uncertainty. That's not just true for Habakkuk. It's true for me. It's true for you. God is the God who is always faithful, even in the uncertainty. And we would love it if, if it weren't a, a time of uncertainty at any time we encounter. I don't know anyone who says, I sure love to be in uncertainty. I sure love to suffer. I sure love pain. I sure love brokenness. I sure love when everything's coming apart. And Habakkuk doesn't say in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, I am so glad that God is going to allow this horrible thing to happen. That's not what he's called to do. Just called to recognize that God is faithful even in the uncertainty. Do you recognize that truth is true for you? That's where we're challenged. What uncertainty are you struggling with right now? That you look at it and you say, This doesn't make sense and I need answers. And we just build and build and build. And we feel more and more stressed. And we feel more and more broken. And we feel more and more hopeless. But we're called to to come before God, to worship Him, to recognize who He is, and through that feel strengthened. Jesus gave His disciples the Lord's Supper on the night that He was betrayed. We say those words so often, oftentimes we don't really even think about what they mean. He gave it to them on the night he was betrayed. These, these men had given up their whole lives, their careers. They, they'd followed Jesus for three years. They, they'd put everything into this. And they were getting ready to be thrown into the ultimate form of uncertainty. Because here was the righteous one. Here was the Messiah. Here's the one person that bad things shouldn't happen to. He's going to be put to death. Think about what Habakkuk's saying. He's saying, I, I know that, that your people are unrighteous. I know that we're an unrighteous people, but why is it this bad? The disciples have to look at Jesus and say, he's perfect. Why is it happening to him? What does that mean for us? What does Jesus do to comfort them? He doesn't say, well, well let's sit down here. and I'm going to tell you exactly how the next few days are going to go. I'm going to tell you exactly how it's going to work. I'm going to go to an unjust trial. This is how it's going to play out. Here's what the crowd's going to do. I'm going to go on a cross. I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be buried. 
And, and then I'm going to rise again. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you. You're going to go into all the world. The church is going to be established 2,000 years later. It's still going to be there doing my work. It's all going to be great. That's not what he does. He sits down and has dinner with them. He relates to them and says, let's have a meal. Here's a piece of bread. I'm going to take this piece of bread and I'm not going to comfort you by saying, you know, it's just going to taste just like homemade. Here, just take it. Just taste home. Taste peace. What does he say? This is my body. Broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In like manner, after supper, he took the cup and he, he poured it and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Poured out for you under the remission of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so it is that as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim his death. We proclaim the ultimate unrighteousness, the ultimate un unjust act. What could be worse than, than condemning God himself to death? What could be worse than taking someone who isn't just innocent of a particular crime, but of anything wrong, and giving him capital punishment? And yet, as the disciples were about to witness that, Jesus said, I want you to take these things and to remember who I am for you. For this is given for you. So that when everything feels uncertain, you look at this and you remember who I am, that I'm with you. And so it is just as the, the prophet Habakkuk comes before and he rehearses the promises of God. As we prepare to take these elements, we rehearse the promises of God to each other. Now, the key thing is, of course, that we believe in the promises of God. And if you haven't ever trusted in Jesus, then may tonight be the night that you do. You rest in him. Now, this, these elements by themselves, it's, it's a piece of bread, it's a, a cup. We could go to the factory, we could see how it's made. They're not going to comfort us on their own. It's in that hope that we have in Jesus. And so these elements are for those who trust in Jesus. And, and if you haven't trusted in Jesus, then let the elements trust pass, excuse me, let them pass you by. But don't keep letting them pass you by. Turn to God, have a relationship, and experience the, the hope of his promises as the prophet does here, as, as Jesus' disciples do, as the church does over and over again, that, that doesn't make sense always. But he's with us, and we know who he is, and so we know what he will ultimately do. Let's come before our God and pray. Father, I struggle oftentimes to, to understand what you're doing and I want to know and I, I, I would imagine every one of us in this room has had that experience. Sometimes we look at these elements of this bread and this cup and we think, should I even take it? Because I, I'm, so, I'm so full of questions. God, I don't understand. And yet you know that you call us to come before you, to worship you, to, to experience your presence in the questions. And so it is by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you take this, this bread and this cup and you would communicate the benefits of our Lord and Savior Jesus to us, that we might be nourished and strengthened, that we might cling all the more to who you are, that we'd be strengthened for the things that we face ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.